Tandem Nomads, episode 142. My biggest advice to couples who are moving internationally is to communicate, 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 and to do that communication with kindness and honesty, always. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show and entrepreneurship platform where you can find great inspiration and tips to grow a successful, portable business and thrive in your global nomadic life. This is your host, Emel Deregi. Today, I'm really excited to talk about something that I wanted to talk about for a while in the show, and I'm really happy that I have found the right guest to talk about it, Phil McOlive. Hi, Phil. Are you ready for the ride? Uh, Amel, let's do it. So let me introduce you to Phil, who comes from Australia and is currently in his fourth diplomatic posting. He had two postings as the posted diplomat in Ochimin and Seoul, and two as the accompanying spouse in Caracas and currently in Wellington, New Zealand. So following a major midlife crisis, as he calls it, uh, while posted in Seoul, Phil started searching for answers around the challenges he experienced in his diplomatic career and his personal journey on the move. But he found nothing. So he decided to take action and that has inspired him to launch the podcast called The Lonely Diplomat that I highly recommend you to listen to, if, especially if you're a diplomat spouse or a diplomat yourself. In that, in that podcast show, Phil shares the stories of diplomats around the world and he also helps them reconnect with themselves and the world around them. So Phil, I really try to summarize a little bit what I know about you Tell me if there's anything missing and what's happening in your world today. Well, Amel, um, firstly, thank you so much for having me. This is a real thrill and I'm really excited. Um, that was such a great intro. I think we probably should just wrap it up. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's been um, when one hears about their life in, you know, a couple of sentences, it really is stirs up a whole lot of emotions. It's like, wow, that's actually really happened. And wow, that sounds really exciting. And then you go, actually, that's my life. Um, yeah. And, and I know, I know when, it, when it's sort of said out loud by someone else, it, it, it really is a bit strange. That is your life. And speaking about that, Phil, I actually want you to tell us a little bit about what got you to start the lonely diplomat with your own words in, but also if you could summarize a little bit those challenges that you often talk about in your, you know, in your podcast and in your website, what are those challenges you experienced as a diplomat where you felt like you were lonely? (laughs) That's why I guess you called this podcast a lonely diplomat. Yeah, that's, that's right. And the, the, the intro really tells the, the story that, you know, sets the framework, but, when I was uh, working as the diplomat, um, I was acutely aware that I had to be on all the time and even within my house. But as soon as I left the house uh, and, you know, even on a weekend interacted with people, I was the Australian diplomat. Um, and that's at once really such a privilege and an honour. You know, I'd always wanted to represent my country overseas. 
Um, and that I got to do that was, and still is, such a thrill. But it comes at a cost, and this, and the cost is what I explore in my blog and podcast. Um, and as diplomats, particularly in the Australian context, in in, in a couple of other country, countries uh, as well, so uh, particularly New Zealand, being seen as a whinger, saying that things aren't okay, um, is quite discouraged um, and and socially. Um, not socially unacceptable, but is something that, you know, you really don't want to do. You don't want to be perceived as the person who just whinges and complains. Mm. But this is the kind of life where the costs are enormous, even though the, the rewards are enormous and personally satisfying and, you know, working on behalf of your country and advancing its interests overseas. But the personal costs are significant and we can be loath to talk about them out loud for mm. fear of being perceived as being the whinger and the complainer but that doesn't make the the difficulties go away ignoring them doesn't make them go away ignoring them makes them worse Absolutely. um yeah and and so that's what my work is about and so yeah you you said you know went through a major midlife crisis and and I'm kind of wanting to imagine what a minor midlife crisis looks like. Um, but for me, it was the realisation that, you know, this fantastic lifestyle that I was leading with my family, you know, and the privilege and the honour of, you know, sitting behind the Australian flag um, at meetings and representing Australia, that meant that the moving from place to bouncing in and out of Canberra um, I had friends, but they were on largely the same diplomatic, living the same diplomatic life, and we were kind of bouncing all over the world. We would then, I, I then realised as I got to 40 that I had no one in my life with whom I could pick up the phone and go, you know, we haven't spoken, we haven't seen each other for like over five years now. Um, I kind of am not feeling okay. Can we talk? Um, I had no one in my life who I thought I could do that with beyond my wife. And if, you know, you need to talk, you know, complain about your wife, <laughs> like who do you talk to kind of thing, you know, for, for instance. Mm. Um, and that kind of sort of spiralled for me, that realisation. And I was like, wow, like there is really no one in my life. So I kind of... I talk about this uh, in a blog post, but, you know, I Googled how to, um, ha like, had, like, what's the cure for loneliness? Mm. And it was like, you know, just putting yourself out there. It's like, I don't have time. I've got a job. I'm a dad. You know, I'm, I barely have, you know, time to function myself. Like, when am I going to be doing this? Um, then, you know, I sought the help of a counsellor um, through my employer, uh, just over the phone. They were in Canberra or somewhere in Australia. I was in Seoul. And they're like, you know, oh, you poor pet. That seems terrible that you're feeling a bit lonely. You know, you've just got to put yourself out there. And I said, well, out there is Korea. I speak rudimentary Korean. Um, how do you propose then that I put myself out there in Korea when I have a busy job? And, stuff? and I'm like, it's kind of wasn't helpful. Um, then I Googled some more loneliness and diplomacy. There was nothing. And the idea was born. Um, well, sorry, I got help 
through a coach, uh, reconnected to myself mm. uh, and realised that the problem with loneliness for me wasn't the pushing, putting myself out there with the focus on out there and doing things that I loved. It was the putting myself the emphasis needed to be on putting me, the authentic, real me, take it or leave it me, out into the world. And that was terrifying and scary because as a diplomat, you still have that mask on all the time. Mm. I got help. I reconnected with myself and then I realised it. I was sitting around a, a conference table and I could... It was suddenly like, you know, the, the, the lights had been turned on or, or I'd put glasses on and I could actually see clearly what was going on around me. And there was a lot of people who may or may not have realised it in themselves who were desperate for the approval of others would essentially like that the success of their day would depend on how others perceived them. Meanwhile, they were getting more and more disconnected with themselves. And I started to have some real conversations with people and I, I knew that I wasn't alone um, and that there was quite potentially a market out there for someone who understands, who gets it, um, to provide that forum of going, this is a great life, don't get us wrong, but... It's a, and I say this, this is a mantra, it's allowed to suck sometimes. Yep, exactly. And I think that's one of the things about your podcast I love that you mention is allowed to suck sometimes. And as a diplomat, usually we kind of seek for perfection and mistakes mm. are not very well seen. So that's... That's right. But I just want to highlight something with your Nomad Nation here about what Phil just said. And what you've done, Phil, is to find a problem and bring a solution to it. And that's the core base of starting a portable business. So definitely, Nomad Nation, if you're still looking for an idea, make sure to think about what problem you want to solve around you because that's 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 the beginning of everything. And you've been on an amazing journey since you discovered that problem and started putting yourself out there. Mm. Start sharing it. I just want to yeah, commend you for that. I love how you talked about that and uh, how you identified those challenges and how you actually fulfilled a market gap that existed. I'm curious to know how you turned it into a business. So what is now the mission of The Lonely Diplomat and what are your services? The mission of The Lonely Diplomat is simple, really. Diplomacy can be huge and overwhelming. We get lost, or we can get lost, doing our bit to advance our country's interests. My work focuses on the individual doing that work and those with them um, who might feel that they are lost, somehow lost within the system. My work reconnects them to themselves and to the world around them. I do this work through a blog, uh, The Lonely Diplomat podcast, and now I offer coaching, um, so one-on-one coaching for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life. Um, I also do seminars for our employing agencies, webinars for uh, audience members on various uh, topics such as work-life balance or parenting or concepts of home. 
Um, I also have started the Friends of the Lonely Diplomat meetups, which are opportunities for readers where and listeners wherever they are in the world to get together and have a chat with each other and with me um, about issues affecting them and how they live their diplomatic life. And on my website, I have The Lounge, which is a place for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to come and get support and give support to each other um, as they go about living their lives wherever they are in the world, knowing that they can engage through this chat room um, uh, anonymously. Um, And I've recently published a book, um, which is now available on Amazon.com. So, Readers, listeners, people who are interested um, can search for The Lonely Diplomat on Amazon and it will take you to my book. Uh, The book tells my story um, of how I became aware as I entered middle age that I was like many men uh, at the moment that I was lonely. Uh, And it tells the story about how I came to work through that um, and found the way back to myself, the reconnection back to myself. It uses my five central themes of my work as a guide um, with the aim of helping and supporting and encouraging readers, be they diplomats or not, to be authentically themselves in the world because the world needs more people who are themselves. This is great. So let's now go into your journey that led you to be where you are now. So right now, you're the one who's accompanying your spouse in the posting Mm -hmm. in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I would like to know, as you've done that, once it was her, once it was you, how did you come up with that agreement? Who comes, Uh, who goes when? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd really like to say that there was some kind of grand plan, you know, in, in the relationship. And for us as two individuals coming to a relationship years and years and years ago, we both wanted to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Uh, and that is at once the allure of working in the public service in any capacity, working, working in the government sector. Um, you're part of something bigger than yourself. For me also, I when since I was 14, wanted to work overseas in a um, in, in a capacity, in a non-military capacity. Um, I'm, I'm not sort of the military type. But um, when uh, my wife and I got together, um, we had been together for maybe six, seven months. Uh, and a posting round for her come up, came up, and um, it kind of necessitated the conversation. Two major conversations. It's like, okay, where do where does she go? Um, and I remember I learned German. Um, German was a minor for me at university, and Berlin was on the list. And I remember sort of looking down the list and going, oh. Berlin's on the list. That's great. I won't need to learn the language. She's like, yeah, yeah, that's good. But, you know, Caracas is on the list too. And it's Spanish and it's in the Caribbean and it's far away from Australia and it's going to be great. Uh, And you may or may not come with me. I don't know if you're a keeper yet. Um, And 
So she put down Caracas, got it, and then we found out about Caracas and then then had to have the conversation of like, all right, is this relationship worth investing? Mm. Uh, you know, is this, you know, you know, will it survive, you know, moving the other side of the world? And that's how, you know, the 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 merry-go-round, the postings merry-go-round actually started. Now I'm really lucky, um, and Australian public servants in my position are very lucky, as opposed to many of your listeners, I would dare say. That's are. true. That's something good to highlight. I have, as a condition of service, if my spouse gets a diplomatic posting, and this applies to my wife as well, if I get a diplomatic posting, no questions asked. Um, term of the posting, leave without pay, and I'm guaranteed a job when I come back. And generally, I'm not punished for leaving that um, leaving for for three years. In principle, <laughs> in principle, but of course, like your skill, depending on what you get to do overseas while you're on leave, like you know your your skills could be a bit rusty. You might not be as marketable when you come back into the department or whatever. But I'm really lucky. Like I don't get penalised. Um, like I don't have to quit. I don't have to, you know, look again. And in many times as a diplomatic spouse, I don't get work rights in the country that I'm living in. Mm. Um, but I did in Venezuela and I was a journalist um, and I do here in New Zealand um, as an Australian citizen. So the two places uh, for me where I've been the, the, the accompanying spouse, I've been really lucky that I could if I needed to and I did in, in Caracas go out and get a job. Um, then in terms of, you know, the overall plan, you know, it's generally a posting, come back to Canberra. Uh, a few years in Canberra, get promoted, uh, get posted again. Uh, and so posting rounds would come up. We'd sort of go, we'd look at them and go, okay, you know, do we want to, do we, do we not, do we not, you know, where are the kids up to or do we, you know, want to, you know, are we having kids and, and you know, kind of fitting our relationship amongst, you know, in, in between all these considerations for our careers. And then, you know, there'd be opportunities in Canberra and, you know, she would essentially surge and be awesome and I would take a step back and, you know, keep the home fires burning and then vice versa for a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very much a partnership um, in making those, or it is very much a partnership in making the, when we made those decisions. Um, and, you know, can this be a place, not only just to go on holiday, but can this be a place to live and have a great experience knowing that there might not be work there, but it's a valuable life experience for us. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I think you talked about something very important, the term partnership. And that's, you know, what I always say, Tandem Nomads is called Tandem Nomads because it's a team deal. And you've clearly managed yeah. to make that team, although it was not a grand plan, like you said, you did not have a strategy, but it comes from a deep understanding of each other and respect for each other, like you said. Yeah. But, but, you know, you said something also that I'm thinking about our listeners here in Nomad Nation who are thinking, how can they apply in their case? It's true that not everybody has the chance to be able to keep their job while moving abroad. So, yes, mm-hmm. that's for sure. It's a very, and, and in the diplomatic sphere, it's getting more and more common, which is good. But in the corporate field, I'm not sure if it's yet possible. I just want to talk about the the 
being a male accompanying spouse. Mm. So how did you explain yeah. that? Yeah, look, I, I have to say there's some um, uh, something great in being naive um, and just sort of going, yeah, that sounds like a great opportunity and, and then kind of starting to do it and go, oh, crap, this is really hard or I hadn't expected this. So this was back in 2001 when we, and I was, early mid twenties when we first went to, to Caracas and I was leaving behind um, a nascent career in Canberra. Um, and I distinctly remember that feeling of that came when the front door to our apartment closed on the very first day that my wife went to, or she, we weren't married then, um, went off to work. And with that sound went all my Spanish. I had done French at school. I was learning Spanish, but I sort of spoke Spanish, but it came out French. Um, and, you know, I had like, there was the the housekeeper in the house and I'd never had a housekeeper before. I'm like, what the hell do I, you know, how do I tell her what to do? Or, you know, we didn't have anything anyway. And I just remember the absolute terror of going, oh crap, this this is now real. I, I now like the, the, the theory, the excitement, you know, and I don't know anyone. I can't speak the language. If the phone rings, I just have to stare at it because I can't do anything about it. Um, and that terror was real. But looking back, you kind of just have to go, I've got to make the best of it. Yeah, I got um, boost, but just a second, I got boost. But you <laughs> talked about the door shutting off. I can't. I remember the same moment where it happened to me, and I've heard yeah. so many spouses say the same things. That moment when the door shuts off and the partner goes to work, and we have to start thinking, "What am I going to do with my life now?" Yeah. Yep. So what's next? So what's next? And so as a guy, you know, I was twenty. I think it's like 24, let's say. Um, and it seems so much like a lifetime ago, but, you know, my identity, and I'm going to say many men's identity is wrapped up in what they do. Mm. And you get your sense of value from what you do. Um, and indeed, there's a blog on my website about being a male diplomatic spouse. And okay. it talks about this, um, you know, sense of uh, get it driving your sense of self from what you do. The shift needs to come, and this is the hard part of Mel, is to go from uh, deriving your sense of self from what you do to who you are. Um, and knowing that what you do over life changes depending on where you are and your circumstances, but who you are um, generally doesn't change. Of course, you're allowed to change, um, but that's much more constant than what you do. And if you and this was the entirely the the point of the coaching course that I did with Mike Campbell uh, and the School of Personal Mastery which essentially gave me me. It sounds like hyperbole. It sounds, you know, very romantic and, you know, Instagram philosophy-like, but it gave me me. And I can be me anywhere in the world now. 
Amazing. Um, that's such an important point. I just want to highlight that. You said something that's so important. And in our society, especially the Western society, we define mm. our identity by what we do. And everything starts shifting when we decide to try to know who we are instead of what we do. Right. So that's so crucial. And you got help to be able to define that when you got that identity crisis and midlife mm. crisis. So yep. I want to talk about that a little bit in when you decided to launch The Lonely Diplomat. Yeah. And what did you need to do to turn it to reality? And also, what kind of conversations did you have to have with your partner to be able to commit to it? Yeah, um, really so lucky to have such a supportive partner and to be in the position where we could actually afford for me to not have a reliable income coming into the the family. So that's the environment and knowing that there is the opportunity of this posting um, and a defined three-year period where while being the primary carer for our children, while keeping the household running and going to the supermarket and, you know, right now there's a load of washing of some of the kids' sheets. You know, it's Thursday, so it's washing day. Um, you know, that's what I'm doing today. It's not, you know, all, you know, cocktail parties and stuff. It's living our uh, living life and keeping the household running. But having that opportunity, having that space, um, to employ what's going on in my mind, putting that idea into reality um, uh, is absolutely golden. It's such a fantastic opportunity. And both my wife and I were really keen to just see how it goes. Mm. You know, it's essentially, and I'm very lucky, essentially it's risk-free. I, I want to highlight, insist on that one because... That's the case of a lot of expat partners. I know it's not the case of all of them, but no. risk-free. There's nothing to lose than to try it. And this is so mm. important. Although there's maybe some minor investments at the beginning. Right. How does it affect you as a male to take this role? Does it in any case affect you? Well, yeah. I mean, part of the, the whole deriving your, you know, the 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 the, the masculine and, and mm -hmm. kind of not wanting to get too much into the masculine and feminine yin yang mm -hmm. uh, that lives within us all as humans. But the masculine requires the, you know, providing. And traditionally in Western societies, you know, a man provides through work and bringing in money. I've had to redefine how I provide mm. for those most for myself and for those most important to me and if it happens to be about kicking you know um, cooking a kick-ass meal uh, then or just sort of putting baked beans on toast you know that's everyone goes to bed you know with full bellies and knowing that they're loved sometimes that's enough for the day um, and you know but it's that redefining how I provide um, uh, when, you know, I'm working and, and being in my masculine. Mm. And, and was that a challenge at some point for you? Like, oh, yeah. 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 I have to say, you know, um, you know, there's a group of, uh, uh, male diplomatic spouses, um, 
and we get together generally once a month. They're all working. They're all working. Um, and, you know, the conversation, um, you know, talks about, so, you know, how you going at work? And, you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic. You know, it's, it's great to have that kind of, you know, that, that support and that camaraderie. But the question then, you know, so Phil, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm just sitting in my small study in my small house, you know, typing things out and speaking into a microphone by myself, <laughs> like, you know, and, and kind of not bringing in much money um, yet. Uh, but yes. it is, you know, really, you know, but I'm getting that absolute connection with people who are really hurting physically, emotionally and mentally hurting. And that to me is so fulfilling um, that uh, it, 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 it remains an absolute privilege to do that. And knowing that I am contributing, so I'm, I'm contributing to the household and I'm also contributing to society if I wanted to use sort of a big romantic word. I'm contributing to something bigger than me. Wow. Which is just like what I would get from being a, a public servant if I was working, you know, exactly. as a full-time public servant. I think it takes a lot of courage to make that decision and to actually go through that transition that must have been painful at some point. So that's quite amazing. But you also got help that yes. led you to start yeah. The Lonely Diplomat and yeah. to be able to launch Pretty cool. effect the lives of people thanks to your show. So I just want to talk about that. How did you get to really commit to investing in the coaching you got and, yeah. and all everything that had to come with, with launching The Lonely Diplomat? This is a really important point. And I have this conversation probably two or three times a week. Um, as men, and I'm going to like, this is terrible. I hate to speak in stereotypes and generalities and stuff, but I guess... Well, if I don't want to do that, I'll speak about myself. I was always interested in self-improvement and I would read books. I would, um, you know, uh, like things like Stephen Covey, you know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm -hmm. I devoured that and I loved it and I thought that was the best book ever. Um, and sort of started, sort of started enacting changes in my life. Um, but I did everything except put my hand up and say, you know what? I don't have it all together. I can't do it all myself. I'm not this self-contained unit of awesome perfection. Um, I need help. And I did everything to avoid asking for help. And still now I am kind of a reformed help asker. <laughs> um, and I find that it was that kind of decision to go, you know what, I need to change, but I can't do it myself. I need some different tools. I need some skills that, to, you know, in different ways of thinking, one of the hardest decisions of my life was saying yes to the invitation to join this new program. Mm. Hardest, hardest decisions generally are the best decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I was terrified. I was so scared. Oh, my God, I was so scared. What was scary about it? Oh, that, that there's, there's, 
one of the, 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 the very first parts of the, um, the program was talking about personal behavioral drivers. You know, what are you running to? Like what, what lights you up? That's easy. That's easy. We all like, oh my God, I love doing this. And, you know, I, I, I love the travel or, you know, whatever it is. But it's the running away from. And for me, I spent, and I write about this a lot, spent an enormous amount of time and personal energy in myself running from my sources of shame. Mm. And we all have sources of shame. For a diplomat, your sources of shame are incredibly dangerous because if someone who we don't want to find out what we're ashamed of, we will do just, I want to invite your listeners just for a moment to think about things that something that they've done in their life that they are deeply ashamed of and would never, ever, ever want anybody to know about. We all have it. We all have it. What would you do if someone came to you and said, I know all about it? And if you don't do something for me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to publish it on the internet. You would do anything, anything to do. For diplomats, that's critically important because that means that you're open to um, being taken advantage of. And so you spend so much time wallpapering over these cracks within yourself um, and pretending that everything is fine, is perfect, your exterior is calm and, you know, endless competence, um, but we are all running from those sources of shame. And for me, I was running fast and I was terrified of stopping and feeling that shame and that was in the first few weeks of this program. Uh, and that was what I was most scared of. That, however, was the, in, in working through that with kindness, with empathy, with no judgment in this safe environment, those things that gave me shame are now my superpower. Mm. And because of those, here I am. I'm the lonely diplomat and um, I'm here to help. Coaching was for me and my sources of, of shame um, the perfect environment because it was a group of guys who were getting real and were having these amazing conversations because we all could relate to the pain that we were having in our lives. And it's not until we process that pain felt it, stopped running, that we could actually move on and fully reconnect to ourselves. Yeah, that's very important. So I think that's the biggest message I want to share here is about taking action. And you yeah. have been taking action by getting the help you need and invest in it financially. So I wanted to know if yeah. you had to have that conversation with your partner. Yes, I so desperately wanted her to say no. We couldn't afford it. Um and because uh, I was, my, my coach was like, yeah, I think he'd be really good for this. And I'd go, oh, kind of, here's an excuse. And he'd go, yep, heard that before, whack, you know, smacked it away. And then I remember coming home after having this conversation with my, you know, soon-to-be coach and told my wife that, you know, 
in the response to the, how was your day, dear? I'm like, well, funny thing happened. Like this guy and I had this chat. And she, I told her about it and she kind of went quiet. And she's like, actually, I think this is a really good idea. I was like, crap, you were meant to say no, no. Like you, <laughs> she's like, no, this is fantastic. This sounds like a really good thing for you to do. Yeah. Like, that's good. Ugh. Yeah. I think that's so important um, to have the support of your partner when it's about testing. Yeah. And I can tell you, it's not easy for everyone. That's for sure. For no. all of you who are listening, if you are in a position where you feel that your partner is not supporting you in investing in yourself, I'd like you to look at how you can work through it with your partner and communicate with it. Because even if it's a little more than what you would usually spend on yourself, the first thing is, I would say, are you, ask yourself the right question. Is it really the fact that your spouse is not allowing it to happen? Or is it that you are not allowing yourself to invest so in yourself? Because I can tell you from experience, most expat partners feel guilty of spending the money of the household into themselves when they don't work and they don't provide for the family. So yeah, I just want to share this message, very important. We're reaching the end of this episode, but I would love to know what would be your major message here that you think is important that you want to leave here before we say goodbye to all of those expat partners who are living on the move, considering shifting their careers, turning, taking turns, but also starting their own business or their own project like you did. Yeah. Look, there's, on the pause. Yeah, there's 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 a couple of just couple of messages that I will will say that I've I'll, I've distilled down to things that are easy to remember, but um, kind and honest conversations always, and uh, they're for me the key to starting those types of conversations that you just said, Amel, saying that you know I feel that I need to do this, um, you know, and it kind of doesn't start the conversation, but it frames the conversation in a way that you can say something, but if everyone in the conversation knows that it's being said with kindness and honesty, without malice, without wanting to get one up on the other person and prove them wrong, um, that's, for me, key, and I recommend kind and honest conversations all the time. Critically, though, with kind and honest conversations, it needs to be with the self first. Mm, um, very good. So the kind, like we can just be, we can speak to ourselves in ways that are truly horrendous that we would never say out loud to anyone else. And we feel that that's okay because we deserve it. If you find that you're sort of saying, Phil, like you know, the equivalent of like, Phil, God, you're an idiot. It's like, and and I do this all the time. It's like no, no, I'm just a bit of a deal. I did something silly. I'll do. I'll I'll fix it now. Um, and just sort of speaking in the way that you would speak to, like I would speak to my children or my spouse. Mm. You know, to to someone that I love. I need to speak in that same way to me. So the kindness starts with me, but critically, the honesty starts with me too. And mm. those conversations. As the key takeaway, kindness and honesty is always for the win. Wow. That's such an important, important message. I'm so glad that you brought it up, Phil. Nomad Nation, I invite you to check out Lonely Diplomat on tandemnomads.com slash 142. And Phil, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story and inspiring us with your 
great messages. Amel, it's a pleasure and thank you for doing exactly the same thing. Thank you for providing this forum. Thank you. My true pleasure. And Amad Nation, I wish you to turn every challenge you have into great opportunities and see you in the next episode.